1: Welcome, everyone, to this solo pad edition of the Completely Unnecessary Podcast for Tuesday, August 20th, 2019. Ian's on vacation. I'm Pat Country. I'll be your host for the next 65, 70-plus minutes talking about things like the 30th anniversary of the Sega Genesis, the new Intellivision Amico trailer, a new Masters of the Universe series announced, my return to the flea market after nearly eight, nine months, uh, a Q&A answer, Patreon poll topic, et cetera, etc. Et uh, what's been going on? Uh, the Super Nintendo book's being printed. That's great. They are, they're hand-drawing them now. Uh, it's being printed right now. I have to approve the prototype covers since the book is so big. Um, they have to, like, mock up a cover size for some reason. That's interesting. I won't bore you with the details, um, but you can uh, you can pre-order it at ultimate Uh The NES book is also back in stock right now on Amazon, and the pre-order should be going out uh, this week as well to the people that pre-order that, and you can go to the same website, ultimateSNES or ultimateNES.com. I own both of those domains. Ha, ha, ha. Other than that, you can also uh, pick up the, the digital uh, Super Nintendo book, as well for a for a price and you can and you can see what the hell i've been working on the past two years with my team and and uh congrats and thanks to them uh my team of 10 10 writers slash contributors that helped me uh put together the book uh and uh and i pay my writers unlike other people that do their books on video games i pay my writers um and they did a great job, and I wouldn't be able to uh, have done it without them. I I, I can't write the same amount of, of reviews like I used to in the past, but it's good to be at the end of the of the line there and getting another book out there. And I can't appreciate it yet because it's still sort of in flux. It's good to see though, my, my writers, uh, the team, uh, being very happy that the book is coming out, happier than I am, which I guess shows a little bit of my sociopathy, but also the fact that once you're when you're so uh entrenched in in working with something and in all the time and money and effort to get something produced it's hard to divorce yourself from it and and take a step back and appreciate it um I think i will once once I have like the sample in my hand uh i'll be able to like that happened with the n e s book back in two thousand sixteen once I had the sample in my hand I'm like wow, this is a real thing it's still not it's not real to me yet until that happens uh so we're closer to, we're closer to that day though obviously um so yeah. I'll have it at Portland Retro Gaming Expo for sale and it'll be shipping out uh, to backers in October at this point. I wish it was sooner, but it's a, it's a big print run and it went about six, seven weeks behind schedule uh, due to, to some editing issues, uh, due to some uh, things that to be rewritten and other uh, things like that. That had to be asset creation, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, nonfiction's fun <laughs> to put together. And we'll see what, what the next book holds Uh, later in the year i'll probably make an announcement on the next book uh what direction i go one of one of two consoles it's like neck and neck which one to go for first versus the other uh we'll we'll see it'll be a a fun discussion I'll, i'll probably ask on the show which one uh to do and put up a patreon patreon poll no i'll put up a twitter facebook polls to see what people will be interested more in which of the two consoles so um Thanks again for everyone who pre-ordered, and um, it, it's it's good to know your work is, you know, your effort's validated, obviously, especially something that takes so long to do. And people still read, you know. When the first book came out, people were like, oh, people are going to want that. It's all online. It's like, no, well, this is original writing, and it's good quality, and it's good work from people that are very good at what they do, very good at that, at that 16-bit stuff. Anyway, so today is August 20th. 2019 and uh that shouldn't be a day that means anything to most people unless you have a birthday or anniversary or unfortunately lost a loved one loved one on that date but for me um there's a there's a meaning there's a meaning to august 20th um and especially august 20th 10 years ago august 20th 2009 is when i moved out to uh, sunny san diego um it didn't really hit me until like a couple days ago when I was at the flea market. And I'll get to that topic later. That's going to be its own discussion about me at the flea market for the first time in like eight, nine months. Um, What's changed in my life in the past 10 years and how I've grown as a human as I, as I've developed as a man over the past decade and how radically different my life would have been had I not, taking the plunge and, and taking the, the calculated risk to move out to San Diego 10 years ago today, you know, give or take a couple days for a leap year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. De- 10 years ago, symbolically. Pat, you're off by six days according to the Gregorian calendar. Yeah, okay. Anyway, um, so in 2009, you know, it, it was um, the, the recession um, had hit the, year, the summer before. We just had an election um my job was running me ragged my 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 I don't talk about my job too much because you know everyone's had bad jobs uh but my my office job was getting worse and worse year after year in my late 20s I got the job when I was 26 it was my second th- third cubicle job second in the industry that I was in which was market research um and it was fine for like the first year. And then it was like any other job where they decide we want to increase our profit margin. So when we lay off people or they, or they quit, we won't replace them. So more and more work will be given to you. So in 2009, I was doing the work of at least two other workers, if not two and a half, because I was competent and I could move quickly and I was efficient. And that's not rewarding. A lot of office jobs. A lot of times you're punished. A good company will reward you with, with a, a better position, or they'll recognize you, uh, they'll, they'll give you, a, I don't know, a bonus every year, or they'll pay you more. In theory, that's what a good company would do to recognize your talents. But it didn't happen here. So it, it was probably because of all the crush of that, and I just started doing Pat the NES Punk uh, videos um, You know, less than a year before. I decided to move um, out here. And those NES Punk videos obviously were just goofy, and they were just a hobby, the Mario Ball video. Mario Ball. Who remembers the Mario Ball contest? I did. Um, I actually did the contest, and I, and I I mailed games to some people who won that uh, back then. It was an experiment. It was just a, an outlet. It was fun. It was creative. But I decided to move because my my job was just killing me. I could keep the job, but go from like a managerial position to just doing the grunt work, which I was doing anyway. I was doing both manager stuff and grunt work at the job. So I kept my same salary. They just sort of they docked me, like, my position, which I didn't care. And I moved out to San Diego, and I gave it a go. And um, and it was the best decision I made, because even though at, at first it was rough and it was sort of like throwing yourself into a, a, a new new culture, San Diego is a lot different than New Jersey. Um, it cost about this roughly the same amount in 2009. Nowadays, San Diego is probably more than New Jersey by, like, 15%, 20% more to live here. Uh, but it was about the same back then, especially with, with the housing crash, um, you know, costs came down for across the board, across the nation for everyone. So I could afford to get the condo. I wouldn't be able to afford that. If there wasn't the housing crash. I would have no money. To, uh, I wouldn't be able to afford the down payment uh, to do that, let alone the mortgage. But I came out here. Timing was right. And um, I found what what I thought was going to be, you know, someone that was a true love or at least some love. And that didn't work out. That was a relationship. But that's just, that's that's a tale as old as time but you know i i sort of grew as a person uh, i i figured out what i really valued in life yes the game's on the wall yes i value that but i mean like just personally what i value the type of people i want to be around i i've made some good friends uh since i've been here um you know met ian right right well, i met Ian before i moved here a year before i moved here i met ian but you know i i i, I cajoled ian to be my friend i, I persuaded him and I've talked about before in the podcast how it was always easier for me to. It was it was always more difficult for me to become friends with with a with a guy versus a, versus a woman. It just was, and it still is. So I cherish those friendships and the, and the friendships that uh, a lot of friendships from 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 I've gotten from uh, the internet and from YouTube and meeting people uh, at conventions and and colleagues and and that probably wouldn't have happened if I didn't move because moving gave me sort of a. a a, a, not a reset of my life. It gave me, I I guess like a soft reboot. It was like a soft, soft reboot, like force awakens got a lightsaber in the gut, but you know, you got a new generation of, of, of heroes. And it it just, uh, I don't know. It was something new. It was just something new and different. And obviously not everyone has that option, but it it, it taught me that you shouldn't be afraid of at least thinking of taking a, a chance while you can, um, and that could not, not necessarily have to be, has to be for moving across the country, but uh, trying a new profession, trying a new hobby, doing something, get you, getting yourself out of your comfort, comfort zone. I don't care if that means even going to see like a, a movie that a genre you would never thought of seeing or joining a, a book club or, you know, trying that, that, that spin class at the gym that you would think, oh, this isn't for me. Or trying yoga if you think oh, that's not for you. I mean, I thought yoga wasn't for me, and I started doing it in New Jersey before I even got here. When yoga wasn't really a thing out in the East Coast, I was like, "Eh, yoga—that's for girls or whatever." And um, and just doing things to sort of expand your horizon. So that—that's the biggest, I guess, lesson or takeaway from from the experience is that the move literally expanded my horizon to a new uh, new coast. <laughs> but it just—I um, don't know. I. I I didn't want to be afraid of taking the chance and trying. And and that was before, you know, YouTube and, those, well, YouTube, was, I was doing it, but it was, it was purely a hobby, putting out a video like once a month or once every five weeks. You know, it was, it was just a weird hobby. It was for most people back in 2008, 2009. You know, that was before I was affiliated with any website. I hadn't joined Retroware yet. Um, I think, yeah, I posted a screw attack. I posted a game trailers and things like that. but I wasn't officially affiliated with them before I, this is before I went to any of those conventions. My first convention was uh, screw attack. It was SGC 2010. Um, or was it Magfest? I think it was, it was it SGC. Then it was Magfest 2010. So I think it was, I forget. It was one or the other anyway. Um, but then, yeah, the, my life sort of expanded and, you know, I met people, new friends, um, and things have been better. It's, it's it's never perfect. Making a big change is never perfect. And, and even your life is better, it's never perfect. No life is. But um, I'm just happy that I made the decision. And 10 years uh, ten years flies by. It uh, it didn't fly by for me. Oh, no, it didn't. I think the first, there was definitely like a two or three year period in there that I felt like it flew by, especially after I first moved there. Um, it was like two or year, three years later in my condo. I was like, oh, wow, this doesn't feel like I've been here that, that long. It feels like a year. And it feels like three years already. And already things had changed, and I noticed changes in myself and my personality. And um, definitely not as crazy as I was even five, six years ago. But uh, 10 years ago, I think I was more of a maniac. And, and, that, and that was because, of um, I think, mental health things going on. Um, but also, uh, my job was just, the stress was killing me. Um, I mean, Ian talks about that, how I, I, I was, like, gray, like before I quit my job, I quit my job seven years ago, uh, you know, working not just 50, yeah, other people work 50 hour work weeks or 55 hour work weeks. Um, But it was not necessarily the time. And and the average is honestly probably about 45 hours a week. It wasn't 55 every week, but there was like weeks of time where it hit 55 hours, sometimes 60. And it wasn't the the number of hours that killed me. It was the stress of of the time. It wasn't like just like, oh yeah, you know, it was like easy 60 hours. It was tough like, um crunch time 50, 60 hour work weeks. And that's what killed me and responding to clients on deadlines. Uh, deadline client driven work is the worst of all because like it's not up to you. It's up to you know you have to do it. Like there's there's no excuses. You gotta get the work done and you're in deep shit. And that's what my job was. But whatever. It's fine. It's in the past and actually like a few of the people I worked with Half of them I don't, <laughs> but I like some of those people. I think I should go back to New Jersey and, and visit them. That'd be funny. Be like, hey, remember Pat? Hey, hey, Pat, what are you up to? I think a few know that what I'm up to. They they've gotten wind of it, or they've at least recognized me through someone. And I think I've heard from a couple people that yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of weird that they know I've become. I think one of the pe- per- people saw me on Pawn Stars, um, <laughs> and probably looked me up after that, or or saw me on Spike TV. Anyway, what was I going with this? I'm kind of rambling right now, but um, I just think it's uh, it's funny that how much has transpired in ten years. Uh, and anyone, and, and I'm not the only one, but this is my anniversary date is a- August 20th, and I'll never forget leaving New Jersey. It was, I mean, New Jersey in August and July is awful in terms of the heat, the humidity, and that day I left, I'll never forget it. All my stuff was already already moved out. It was on, the, you know, my car was gone. Even this is before Uber and Lyft. So it's like I had to walk to like the local Chili's to get something to eat. And I think I hung out with a girl I was friends with uh, that night and I had nowhere to sleep. I had all my luggage with me. I probably should have called a, honestly, I should have called a, this is even before smartphones, 2009. I mean, now people had smartphones. Yeah. So I couldn't just like say, oh, Lyft pick me up, take me to a hotel or take me to the airport, you know, the night before I should have done that. Honestly, um, I should have just went to the airport the night before. But I wanted to have like one last. Neither I, I slept on like clothes I had that I was I packed on my fake wood floor, my on my garden apartment in New Jersey, and uh, sort of just reminisced and thought about, oh, I'm making a big change. Did I do the right thing? It was it was hectic to pack all the stuff and move it? Not nearly as hectic as it was a year and a half ago uh, to move because my game collection is like four times, five times the size it was before. Uh, my game collection was was cute and small in 2009 compared to what it is now. Jesus Christ. Guys, probably twenty like percent of the size, um, maybe less. Uh, but I slept on the clothes on, on the. Then my next door neighbor let me sleep on her on her couch. Uh, that was nice of her too. As I said, I I know where. You know, I, I should have just went to a hotel, um, and done that. But I was like, I was weirded out. I was different ten years ago. I didn't think as clearly as I did now. Uh, and then uh, I never, never forget that morning when I when I got the cab. Uh, I, I scheduled the cab to pick me up, take me to the airport. Uh, New York to, to get me to San Diego uh, how awful it was when I stepped on outside it was like a hundred percent humidity and it was like one of those things where you were in, instantly you feel wet and drenched going outside like 90 degrees but 95 100 percent humidity and I said to myself I am not going to miss this and I haven't I've, I've missed the pork roll and the diners and uh, you know the, the leaves turning color. I missed the fall seasons so the autumn is my favorite season I missed the Jersey Shore but I didn't miss nearly anything else from my my time there, and it was time to move on. And I'll never never forget coming off the plane, um, and the the doors swing open, the automatic doors in San Diego Airport, and it's like wow, it's like fresh cool air with no humidity. It's like the like an air conditioner. And I said to myself, wow, I think I'm home. This is my new place, and I'm, and I'm I think I made the right decision, and I think I did. Um, and I, I was careful pl- carefully planned and. I made a business deal before I came out here that gave me the money to um, to get the uh, the down payment for the for the for the condo out here, which i never spoken about. So there was a lot of things that had to happen, like domino effect for me to get out here. But um, yeah, I'm just grateful and thankful to uh, that I'm here, and I'm grateful for life. That's not something I say too often. a lot of times I act cynical, but I'm just happy and grateful to be in the place where I'm at, and thank you for following me along on this journey the past 10 years. I appreciate it. I, I couldn't be doing a dumb podcast right now and have you listen to me, unless there's someone for me to listen to. I'm not just speaking into uh, to a, to trees in the, in the forest, right? If, if you yell in the forest, does anyone hear you? I, I guess not technically, unless there's some squirrel around that's trying to get some sleep or some bear that wants his next dinner. But thanks for uh, being along this journey with me and, and more fun things to come. Out in San Diego before I have that uh, mid uh, midlife uh, crisis in a year or two, and then move to Wyoming. And It'll be Pat podcasting from ranch country, the country ranch. That'll be me with my horses and, and and cows and and steers. All right, moving on to the first topic. I'm doing a podcast, right? Yes, without Ian, who's still on vacation. I am. Um. So this was a uh, news out of Missouri. Unfortunate news of uh, what's probably going to be known in the future, or now, as the first major video game uh, theft, heist, the first video game heist, that has occurred. And this occurred with someone I just met um, at this point two weeks ago at Missouri Game Con. So it was Missouri Game Store Trading Games had... Estimated over $100,000 of rare games stolen. Located in Fenton, Missouri. Founded in in 2002. Um, Not shocked that something like this has occurred. I'm just surprised it happened this quickly after all the latest news. In the past literally couple of months, few months, News of the hundred thousand dollar, you know, sold private auction, um, Super Mario Brothers, and then it was nationwide news with this sealed Kidikorus for nine thousand dollars a few a few weeks ago. Um, you have a Kotaku article that I had a symposium on the last podcast for forty five uh, minutes, and so now the average person, the lay person, knows that this is big money and we are almost 10 year, 10 years removed from the almost nationwide news of the of the $10,000 $9,000 stamp events being found the box, boxed one that was major news when Yahoo uh Yahoo Auctions when Yahoo did the article on it it was an eBay auction and they didn't know that there was a stamp events in the box that was worth that much money it went for $9,000 Yahoo did the did the reveal on their website the news article all of a sudden everyone's like oh this is gold I wrote about it on my website in the at the time all the all these scam Craigslist ads that came up across the nation asking for oh I owned the same events when I was a kid uh, can you if you have one I'd like to own it again or my or my son had one so bad things happen unfortunately in humanity when news gets out and people try to become opportunists or criminals and in this case a bad criminal element Arose based upon all this news, and uh, the owner uh, Jason from this, from uh, Trading Games. Uh, I spoke to him on the phone at, uh, for like a half hour yesterday to get more backgrounds. and um, hoping that insurance can cover the loss of all these items. Hopefully, uh, video games is such a such a newer market. When it comes to this, it's not like the art world or comic books or, or baseball cards or jewelry where insurance companies have nothing to go on. They have to trust the people that own them to be the experts. We are the experts. The people that that own these games and people that run these game shops are the experts of what they're valued at. It hasn't matured yet to the point where um, a, an ins- any old insurance company will trust that, oh, this, these games are worth $100,000 and they are. So I'm hoping that Jason collects on this. It's going to be a tough go uh, to get to get even a good chunk of the money back here. So, um, this was, this was a planned heist. They stole, uh, sounds like only the safe, not anything else from the store. So they knew the safe was there. It was, I think it was advertised as part of the store that, Oh, we have our, you know, basically our vault of stuff. And, and Jason told me like he'd done a video recently talking about, Oh, he unboxed stuff from Wada games. He got back and he put some of them in the vault, including ones I'm going to talk about, uh, including a, like a 9.4 uh, sealed bonks adventure on NES. So publicly, some people knew that the safe was there. They had to. And then it sounded like the joint, uh, the joint, that's old time term. They cased the joint. They, the store was cased beforehand. And this was a team that did this. Most likely a local ring that had done other, other robberies or, or thefts. It's being investigated, but they knew what they were doing. Um, they brought tools to crack open the safe they realized they couldn't. So they just dragged the safe out of there. The whole safe. And the comment that Jason told me about. Was that you know it was. Funny ironic if you want to say. Dark humor that. Um, when he first got the safe. The games that were in the safe. Were worth less than what the safe was worth. And this is how much the hobby. Has transformed the past. 15 years. And Jason's had this store for about 20 years. The uh, trading games. Um. So, yeah, he sent mentioned on Facebook before I spoke to him. The old running joke was I spent $2,000 on a safe and filled it with 150 or so games. In the early 2000s, the safe was worth more than the games. He says, you can quote me on that. The value on the list, according to price charting, is almost $85,000. Uh, but, but he said, I would never sell half the games anywhere near that low. See, the problem with with these games, and I'll go through this list in a second, is a lot of these games are esoteric and sort of... um. Uh, niche games like Atari titles that not a lot of sales happen, so it's harder to price games like that out because sales aren't as regular. So price charting might be off, and price charting doesn't include a lot of private sales. I think they they finally include some. I talked to the owner a couple of years ago, recommending via email that you should include as many private sales as you can, especially for rare stuff like NWC carts, where they may not happen on eBay. So the value on eBay is going to be a lot lower than because of the of the, the real. The real market and private sales, so I think that's starting to happen, and that's what like price guides have done for like comics and baseball cards, things like that. They they try to look at go to shows and know what's happening with private sales as well, because that's a chunk of it, uh, not just eBay. uh Yeah, the big one was a Bonk's Adventure, nine point four. Uh, price charting was around three thousand on and of course, no sales data. One with a grade over ten thousand, maybe, but I can't put that in my claims. So I got more detail from, like I said, this was uh, planned. They knew what they were doing. There, there was an alarm. They disabled, I think they disabled the video camera. Um, and they got in and out before police response uh, could, could get there. Um, the list of stuff, and the word's been out on this, uh, but I have to do my due diligence because obviously I'm also reporting on it here as well. Uh, the list of games was posted on Nintendo Age and I think on the website by Jason. Uh, I'm not going to go through every single one. I'll go through some highlights here. Uh, And they're all pictured. He said all the the good news is that these are all pictured. And he had a book that came out, classic eighties home video games that came out, I think over 10 years ago that he took pictures of all these games. So that's all the evidence besides I'm sure for the insurance company, like taking, you know, if he had a video of them, but he took a picture of them all. So he can identify even all the boxes of these. Um, These are all box complete, unless noted. And then there's stuff here. That's, uh, that's hard to find. Uh, Sword Quest Waterworld. Um, a Quadron, loose and new. Flat, on open box, very unique. Gravitar, Gremlins. These are the ones off my head I know that are hard to find, at least even loose. Spy Hunter, uh, Tapper, uh, Cakewalk. Let's see. I'm not an Atari expert, so I'm probably going to skip some of the ones that are probably the bigger ones that are worth a lot of money. Frogger 2, I know that's a cart that's uncommon. It's probably hard to find in the box. Cubert's Cubes. Uh, Chase the Chuck Wagon, of course. uh, There, Uh, River Patrol. Minor 2049 or Part 2. Didn't even know that was a game. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Halloween. Those are tough to find. Uh, A few box Atari 5200 games. A couple of ColecoVision games. Here's all the the NES ones. My audience probably would know most of these. All box complete. Bubble Bobble 2. Bubble Bath Babes. That's at least a thousand right there. Hot slots at least a thousand or more. Peekaboo poker at least a thousand or more. Secret Scout hundreds of dollars. The Athletic World Bandai in this market I have no idea. At least a grand for that. That used to be uh, you know, hundred bucks, two hundred bucks until people realize what it was. But yeah, the Family Fun Fitness Athletic World's worth a lot if it's a Family Fun Fitness. It says Bandai. I think he probably means uh, the Family Fun Fitness one. That's a lot of money. Caltron, six and one that goes for you know uh, hundreds of dollars. Bio buffet bubble bubble two hundreds of dollars. The, the Bonks Adventure Wada Graded one, tons of money. Cheetah Man 2 is at least $1,000 or $2,000. Chubby Cherub is hundreds of dollars. Chiller. Color of Dinosaur, Wada Slab. Contraforce. Don Kong Jr. Math. In this market, depending upon the grade, that's even a bad grade will go for probably $2,000, $3,000 at this point in time. At this point, if it's in decent shape, uh, it could be several thousand dollars uh, for that. Flintstones Dinosaur Peak is at least probably two grand in the box. Little Samson. Uh, the same monster in my pocket pocket hundreds and hundreds uh power blade two tons of money at this point probably complete in complete box that's got to be at least 800 snow brothers a lot stay cart and manual in this market easily 15 grand if not 20 grand turtles tournament fighter hundreds of dollars nes joystick test cart wada slab 6.5 uh test carts are always hard at the price they don't sell as much but in this market at least a grand probably more the same with the power pad test cart uh super nintendo all box captain Novelin with slip sleeve new i think that slip sleeve is what will make that worth a lot i think that's one that's harder to find uh gani a lot of money final fight guy that's worth several hundred dollars in the box at this point noah's ark the same three ninjas kick back it's worth a ton of money at this point uh, let's see, then there's a, a few other uh, Sega CD games, like Space Adventure uh, and Snatcher. Snatcher at this point, $700 easily at this point. Easily. Uh, then a few Sega Genesis games that are water-graded. Cyberman uh, S- 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 uh, Carnage, Maximum Carnage, 9.5. Doom Troopers, 9.8. So, even... I didn't talk about, like, even a, a, a third of the Atari games. Just those NES games alone, eyeballing them, that's like forty grand. Right, probably forty grand, just from those NES games, if not more, just from the you know the same events in cart and carton manual. I said fifteen, is probably twenty. The other stuff is easily twenty grand. On top of that, so forty grand, and then the other stuff. I'm gonna trust i trust Jason that this stuff's worth easily a hundred thousand dollars. So this is a massive, massive uh, theft, and. What, what Jason wanted to impart upon me is that we're in a new era now, where this is 10 years later, from that same events uh, nationwide, it was almost nationwide news this stuff is now nationwide news, this theft is nationwide news every two-bit criminal petty thief is going to know that oh, some games and some guys' random collection down the street could be worth five ten thousand dollars $10,000 maybe not uh, this amount of money, but they're going to think everything in your living room in your basement is gold now because of this. So the time has come or has been passed, and I've thought about this, but how many more games besides a few in my bank vault am I going to add? I'm looking at games on my shelf right now that I'm like, I don't know if I'm comfortable having those games now here because if people know I have these games, you know, am I a target? How many people out there that thought about security are going to get it soon. I'm going to have the security cameras going very soon. I ordered them on Amazon. I just got to put them in place. But I'm going to have the security cameras, so that's going to be taken care of as a deterrent. But not everyone can do that, or some people won't care. And this, the good, if there's a silver lining to this, is that obviously they, they attacked a, a more of a soft target. They t- attacked a, a game store. What if some people are don't think about it? Some people might try to attack or or try to go after someone's home. They might think you're not there or on vacation. Maybe someone else is. Your loved ones live there. You have a pet. Uh, you, you, you know, you have children. This is this is serious stuff to think about. And this was a shocker to me to be like, I mean, like I said, I was thinking about it, but this will be a slap in the face to a lot of people thinking about, you know, now that ever, the word is out that this stuff is valuable. People can, like again, this could be your neighbors. This could be someone next town. This could be someone you did a game deal with. You did a a trade, uh, you know, you traded some games that came over and saw your stuff. Can you trust every single person you ever had in your house? It's one of the reasons why I don't have people in my house that I am not totally, totally familiar with and trust. Because you don't know. You don't know what they do. Someone you meet at the flea market. You know, my, my condo, I had someone in my flea market, a couple of people that I don't know I'd be comfortable doing that, having someone at the house to look at my stuff. I don't know if I can trust them. Or people they might know or maybe they or they can even tell someone hey yeah i was over pat's place and and that person might be like oh that's interesting where does he live you know so this isn't trying to true uh you know uh induce terror or or panic but this is something to seriously consider if you have games that are worth some money out there where do you want to keep them safe do you want to have a security uh system or uh, what is it like, the, like blink cameras or the ring has a whole security system with monitoring. They're not even unreasonable. You can get it going for like $150, $200. You can get it going. Um, and I think more and more people are, more, more people are doing that because it's more, it's more affordable, but now's the, now's the time to really do it. Uh, especially if you're a video game collector, I think you should, you should seriously consider it. Or at least, in, at least having safeguards. Hey, have a pit bull live in your game room or don't adventure. Or an attack cat... Why can't... If someone can own like a... Like a pit bull... Why can't I own like a... Like a lynx? Or you know... Or like a small mountain lion... A dwarf mountain lion... <laughs> I'd probably own one... A caracal... Can I, have, can I have a caracal at least? Something that would induce fear... And, and can, can mess you up a little bit... <laughs> if you try to... Try to take a... You know... A, a Bulbeth Babes... Or... Or a Flintstones Dinosaur Peak... But seriously though... Th- this is uh, I feel... I feel awful... Um, that this happened, um, the, the, the safe was 500 pounds empty, five foot tall, three foot wide. The cops are amazed. It was moved. This was a group of people. This was coordinated. This was planned. That's what's so scary about this. That's what's so scary. And you feel violated. I mean, that's what, that's what Jason said to me. Like if if you had, if you ever had a home break in or even your car being broken into my car was broken into in New Jersey uh, I'm not saying it's the same degree as this happening but when when something you own or property or business gets broken into you just feel violated you don't feel safe anymore like that's supposed to be like where you can feel safe You feel safe in your house you feel safe having a safe at your business you think you feel safe you feel safe having the safe yeah <laughs> you, you you feel secure but you don't anymore because because of criminality because of bad actors in the world it's a new era it's a new era I'm not. I'm not blaming the people spending a lot of money on these sealed games. Um, you're not. It's not their fault that there's criminals out there. But obviously, because of this new activity and the money being pumped in, it's brought a spotlight now in the hobby that wasn't there even months ago. Was it wasn't here in six months ago? The spotlight that's now brightly shining on all of our collections, and the collections might not even have your collection out there. You might have even a game's worth a few hundred dollars that might not matter to a criminal. Who doesn't know any better. They might show up and just want to take everything, and then they'll fit, they'll deal they'll figure it out later. Now, if there is a silver lining to this, I don't even call it that, but I guess the small silver lining is is that these criminals are going to learn that it's going to be really hard to move these games to get anywhere near the value of it. Obviously, the, the graded water games; those are, those will have serial numbers. So, any collector that gets that's going to know that these these uh, look you can look up the serial numbers and know that this is not. This is part of the, the the thievery that happened. It's part of the heist. But trying to move, like, these Atari games. First of all, there's not a lot of Atari collectors out there looking for these games uh, in general. But second of all, any any dealer, game store owner, especially in that area, is going to know that this happened. Now this is nationwide news among video game collectors and people that know that these games are out there. So good luck trying to, to sell, you know, the tooth protectors Phone box and shipping box and you know incredibly rare Atari, you know game. Try try to try to uh, try to move that in that condition without the seller realizing where it came from. So, uh, excuse me, without the buyer knowing that. So hopefully you have, you have reputable buyers that know that. Hey, you know this stuff is is, is from the heist. So I think what's probably going to happen is this going has have to be moved very cheap eventually, to either a, a pawn shop. But a pawn shop's gonna be like, what the hell do I do with all this stuff? They're not even gonna know what this stuff is worth. And so this stuff's gonna come out. It's just how many how much time is it gonna take? And what's the what are these what are these thieves, what are they gonna settle for? Are they gonna settle for trying to move it all to a game shop for a couple of grand with that and hell that game shop owner might pay it because they know this stuff's been stolen just to give it back. Just to give it back. And I think that's the scenario that's gonna play out with a lot of this stuff. Is gonna they're gonna have to sell it for like pennies on the dollar to people that know it's stolen, but that people's that people are gonna want to recover it for Jason. I hope that's what happens. Hopefully it's not just thrown in a dumpster. It's not gonna happen. That'd be a waste. But it's gonna be it's gonna come out there slowly but surely, maybe in pieces. Um and it'll have to be it's like counterfeit money almost. Like counterfeit money has a value, but it's like pennies on the dollar. People know it's counterfeit, it's hard to move and to get rid of and um i think it's going to happen the same way here uh but i I wish jason well um he's going to send me a copy of his book i'm going to send him at least i'm I'm probably going to send him i'll send him for the store probably a carton of of books for him to sell no questions asked uh, because he was a nice guy talked to him briefly at missouri uh game combat and i spoke to him on the phone and this shouldn't happen to anyone obviously it's it's tragic and um I'm, i'm hoping thieves realize that this is a unique circumstance and it will be a lot hard to move these games. And they realize this isn't like, this isn't like selling a, like a, like a, a DVD player or, or selling a TV. These are unique. A lot of these games, especially how they're bunched. These are unique collections of games. You know, if someone stole someone's collection, a lot of people knew about people know that, Hey, that's that guy's collection. You know, they are unique. They are they're You know, they're they not unique in, in, one or two games, but when you put together the the set of them, yeah, they 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 are they are a unique sort of collection at that point. So moving on, hopefully I don't hear about something like this happening again, but with human nature, it's almost inevitable. We have passed the 30th anniversary of the Sega Genesis, August 14th, 1989, in uh, in North America, and then in Japan, the Mega Drive was sometime in '88. We always get things later here. Although well, not anymore. Now video game consoles come out at the same time. Everywhere for the most part. But back then, you had to wait a year. You had to wait a year. You had to wait two two full years for the NES versus the Family God, Oh my God, it almost didn't come out here. Uh, so, uh, real quick, the Sega Genesis Mini reviews are out, out and about. And this has a connection because obviously this is in line with the 30th anniversary. And I guess the positive news so far, the early reviews so far have been pretty good on the, the Sega Genesis Mini. Um, that the attention to detail on the, the actual hardware itself is being great. There's even a little a little piece to take off for the slot for the expansion port that you don't need to. Uh, you know, um, they have the, the you know the, the reset button and then the slider for the on and off is supposed to be great. Um, the, the, we talked about the games before the collection of games on this podcast. We talked about the game uh, set is very good. Um, so there's no complaints there for most people about what's included. And that the emulation is done by has been done by uh, M2, who uh, worked on uh, like some of the the, the later um, releases on on uh, digital stores and on 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 the iPhone. So the emulation is supposed to be a lot better. Um, the, the we want to hear the the sound is a little bit off. From I think for, I've heard the sound could be a little bit off on the emulation in terms of the timing. The good news is that that's a firmware fix that hopefully they'll release. And this isn't coming out for another month so hopefully i don't know if, if it's too late to fix it on their side before they manufacture and get them out there you hope so i was not sent to rev- review unit i was offered recently um after these reviews are out so i will probably be sent one and we'll talk about it at least in the podcast if i don't do a full video review it's kind of hard for me to do full little video reviews due to the amount of time and effort it goes into it versus my schedule at this point but check out uh uh, the one here listed on on the article, uh, my life in gaming, and I met those guys. Well, I, I met it before, but but uh, uh, at uh, Long Island Rancher Game Ex- Expo, I trust them. They are the authority here. They did an hour. Oh no, they did an hour review of the uh, M two complete works uh, that that came out uh, earlier in the year. Uh, did they also do a my life in gaming? That I did they do a review of the the, the mini here? They did. Okay. So check out. I'll link the, the review uh, for My Life in Gaming uh, for their review of the Sega Genesis Mini. Seventy thousand views already. I would I would trust them uh, in terms of the emulation quality and the the you know the audio versus video. Obviously, this is not, not going to be perfect. This isn't an FPGA. This is not you know an old console that's been modded you know to have RGB out and things like that. But for the mass. Mass consumer world, this sounds like it gets the job done at, what is this, 80 bucks? Not 100, like the disastrous PlayStation uh, Classic. 80 bucks is a great price for this. I wish the, the Graphics Classic was only 80 bucks. Uh, it's 80 bucks. And the good news is that this isn't, a, it's obviously, this is a lot more attention, detail, and care than the at games cash-ins that they did year after year for like seven, eight years. So, um, yeah, I was thinking about buying one literally a day before I was emailed saying I was going to be sent a review unit. I was thinking about buying one. Pat, you're a hater of the Sega Genesis. No, I'm not. The Sega Genesis is a very important. It's, you know, I tease the Sega Genesis very important for video game history, obviously. So I want to talk about like just my, uh, well, first, why this is a Sega Genesis important. Um, check out the video game years clip that, uh, was edited by, I think Joe Redifer. I'd remind him of a couple of points that I'll bring up here that he put, he put in the edit. But the Sega Genesis was important because we needed a, we needed competition with the NES. We absolutely did. Uh, when you have a ninety percent market share, which is what the NES had before the Genesis came out, ninety percent market share for video games in North America, that's nuts. That means nine out of ten people are p- only playing video games at home with their NES versus you know a, an Atari system at the time or or the Sega Master System. Nine out of ten. You had the 7800 come out in you know 86. You have people that still, you know, bar- the bargain bin Atari 2600 wasn't even 10% at that point. It was gone. And Clickovision was long gone and all that. Vectrex you couldn't find at that point, you know, five years until they came out, five, six years. But 90% market share is dangerous because you can rest on your laurels and you don't provide an alternative. And that's what the Sega Genesis did. Besides obviously being upgraded in technology for superior, you know, superior sound and, and, and graphics, and, and having that that third button that I wish they had more of, and uh, yeah, I don't like that original Genesis controller. Sorry, um, but they had the f- this was the first console to have true arcade ports in, in North America. So Afterburner, and Space Harrier, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker that was a, a little bit different. It's a lot different, so I shouldn't bring that one up. But you had you had arcade quality games, Altered Beast. The pack-in originally was an arcade-quality game that you played at home. So first seeing that at my friend Billy's house, I was like, wow, this is something. This is a, this is a step up. This is the teenager, young adult console. So for that first year and a half, almost two years before Sonic came out, Sonic came out in the spring of 91, the Sega Genesis was that like, sort of like edgier uh, arcade console-slash- Sports game console. If you wanted to play, you know, Pat Raleigh basketball, timeless sort Sword of Baseball, uh, Joe Montana football was a big one early on. Um, that was that was what you wanted to play. Couldn't compare. The NES couldn't compare to that in terms of visuals and audio. Gameplay, yeah. I'm not saying, yeah, technical ball is a great game, better than any football game that came out earlier on the Genesis. Um, but people were like, wow, I want to see 16-bit graphics. That's just the way it worked. Uh, they are, and remember, this was a, a full, a full two years before the Super Nintendo came out in North America as well. There was a big head start versus the Super Nintendo, so they captured a lot of audience. My friend Billy had one down the street, and Kevin had one. He also had an NES. Rich kid, not rich kid, but his parents had a little bit of money, so he had an NES. He had an NES, Game Boy, and a Genesis. Pat had an NES, and he had a Turbo Graphics that he had a win in a competition. So I was it was like I didn't buy it my parents would never have bought me a turbo Queen fix but um so the Genesis I kid it but but you you need an alternative you need like the more adult console you needed people to buy the Mortal Kombat with the blood code in order to get Nintendo off of their kitty kitty platform in order to say oh we realize we screwed up we're losing market share we have to include blood in games and and have violence you needed that to happen. you needed competition to push that with the Sega Genesis. You needed to help innovation happen. You needed it. Without the Genesis and Mega Drive, maybe Nintendo wouldn't have come out with the Super Nintendo as quickly, slash Super Famicom, you know, two years later in in both continents. 90 in in Japan and 91 in in North America. You needed that to happen. And obviously it has its own legacy of great games that I won't get into, so I'm not the biggest Genesis guy. But hell, I did a review of The Haunting. Pat the Punk reviewed The Haunting. A game like that would have never have come out in the Super Nintendo. Even probably after they you know, allowed the violence to happen, it was probably still too out there and weird uh, for that to happen. The Haunting, but it, but it came out on Genesis through EA. Well, back when they actually experimented and and put out cute little niche titles like that, like one-off titles. Check out the Haunting video I did. One of my highlights of the, Pat the Ace Punk uh, uh, library of videos. But my but but. It was a part of growing up, the Sega Genesis. I was I was 9, 10 years old when I, I started playing the Genesis. So I'm not like, you know, cute little 6, 7-year-old plucky fat pat anymore. I'm a little bit older. And um, so I remember going to Billy's and playing, you know... Sonic, we didn't play that much, but we played some sports games. Played some Ultra Beast. Um, we did play... Actually, we did play Sonic, but we played like a lot of NHL games, a lot of Joe Montana. And we would be listening to, oh, wow, Pat really became a man. Uh, good thing Billy had an eclectic music taste because he blasted Queen. The reason I still love Queen today was influenced from my friend Billy. Prince, NWA, and two live crew. <laughs> so picture, picture Pat listening to all these different, I'll uh, we'll just say vastly different artists, NWA, Prince, 2 Live Crew, Queen, um, and maybe some iced ice tea thrown in there as well. I remember, yeah, I remember Cop Killer being played when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, playing Genesis. While you're playing like NHL 93 or, or 92, you know, you know, or what or, or, or was NHL PA, whatever, NHL hockey. Playing these games and listening to that, blasting in the background. Pat's like, okay, yeah, I'm trying to groove to this. All right. All right, I'm not, I'm not totally comfortable listening to this uh, two live crew stuff, and Pat's only 10 years old, but whatever, it's fine. You know, Uncle Luke, whatever. And and so I always relate the Sega Genesis to my growing up and sort of like puberty, I guess you could say, becoming a man, becoming a, becoming a man, my voice cracking. When I was like 12, 13 years old before that, I had a cherubic voice even higher before that they wanted me to be like a soprano in the choir um so the Sega Genesis is obviously very important the legacy lived on afterwards we we'll still love it today and know and, and Sonic's still popular and some of the some of the you know some of the games still get remade and updated like streets of rage and and you know the Wonder Boy series and things like that a lot of the games have been forgotten or have been on other consoles in terms of the hardware itself that was a hype for Sega it was downhill from there. Uh, Sega CD wasn't the big, big bad thing that killed them. It was really the the combination of 32X and the Sega Saturn coming out in close succession is what killed them. Bad hardware decision, read about in Console Wars by my pal Blake Harris. And then they try to recover with the Dreamcast, but it was like too little, too late. You can't come out with like five different platforms within like six years. You know, uh, Sega CD and then 32X and then Saturn and then. And then Dreamcast, it's like, God, can we rest a bit here? It's just too much. Well, five within ten years. It's just insane. Every two years, you have a new platform that you got to buy new hardware for. It's just, it's just nutty. Um, God. Um, and so people still clamor for another Genesis console. It's, never, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. I'm sorry about that. It's not going to happen. Um, besides the mini... So here's to the Sega Genesis. I always will associate it with with Pat growing up and listening to N.W.A., and then Prince, and then Queen, and then and then Two Live Crew. And then what are your what are your memories of the Sega Genesis when you were a child? And what do you associate it with uh, back then? And I did play it a decent amount at Kevin's house. I played the X Men game, and I, you know I played Streets of Rage at Kevin's house. You know Billy was more the sports games and the in the odd arcade port. Uh, that that's what happened at, at Billy's place. Uh, down the street. And then we played some street hockey afterwards where he, he'd, he'd, he'd uh, toss me around because all the boys in my street were older than me. They're all two years older at least. So they, 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 they bully pad a bit, but you know, I, I took my lumps. It was fine playing street football and street, t- street tennis, <laughs> but mostly street hockey in in the cold New Jersey winters. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers in 2019, have you asked yourself what you're paying for between expensive retail stores, inflated prices and hidden fees You're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you. Mint Mobile, uh, they sent me a nice SIM card, and all you need is your own phone, your own unlocked GSM cell phone, and you're ready to go. You can be set up within minutes, and they use the T-Mobile network. So it's a it's a nationwide network that you can trust as well. And so far coverage for me has been great. Um, so they have plans that start at just $15 a month for unlimited text and minutes and then they go up for there based upon how much data you want uh, each month. Um, so stop paying for unlimited data that's where a lot of the high costs from the other uh, other companies comes in. Um, you can choose between plans with three, eight, or 12 gigabytes. Of 4G LTE data, uh, you can use your own phone, like I said, and you keep your same phone number along with your all your existing uh, contacts. If your phone, if you own your phone, it's most likely unlocked, or you can call up your provider who you got the phone from. If it's if it's uh, paid for, and they should unlock it for you uh, there, so you can get going. Or of course, you can always buy one that's already unlocked and ready to go. So, here's what I yeah. want you to do. You get your new wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month. And you can get the plan shipped to your door for free. You get the sim card and you get everything you need to get set up. Go to mintmobile.com slash CU podcast. That's mintmobile.com slash CU podcast. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash CU podcast. All right. Uh a a a uh uh, a Masters of the Universe series was announced. This was kind of surprising. At PowerCon this past weekend in Anaheim, my pal Pixel Dan was there because um, he's a big guy in the community for Masters of the Universe. He-Man. You say He-Man. It's He-Man in the Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe is just a name for the whole set of weirdos like Beastmen and Merman and Men-at-Arms and and all the toys I grew up with, and you did too, and 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 Tila, and Evil Lynn, and of course Skeletor, and Orko, and and the, what the hell is the, what the hell was the cat called? Uh, the, the cat was always scared. Cring, Cringer, is it Cringer? What the hell is it? I should know this. I I had all the toys when I was a kid. It was like, I had He-Man toys from like three and a half years old, four f- until um I was probably seven, and then I got out of it, and then focused solely on. Uh, then G.I. Joe for a few years and then transitioned out of that and then Pat got too old to get toys after Ninja Turtles and X-Men and Marvel figures. That was like the four toys, I, main toys I had as a kid. But I remember going to Kmart probably, I was probably three years old, three and a half. And my, It must have been, because I don't know how, I talked to Dan about how many years they produced the same figures, but I remember my mom bought me He-Man and, and Skeletor. I said to my mom, she remembers, I said, I want one bad guy and one good guy. And so she bought me a skeleton and she bought me a He-Man to play with. I, I came where I'll never forget that. It's one of the memories that makes me almost tear up when she bought me those two. So it must have been late 83, early 84. Probably like three and a half four. that um, I got those figures. And I always loved the He-Man figures because He-Man, you imagine yourself being a man and muscles and rah, steroids and <laughs> and the characters are so wacky. They're very specific, all the characters, like trap jaw. He's a guy with a trap jaw and weapons you switched out. Manny faces had multiple faces. Merman was a was a mermaid man. Beast man was a beast that was also a man. You know? Very specific. Skeletor was a skeleton. Man at arms had a well, he was a man that had arms. That one didn't make sense. Uh, you know, so, so it was very on the nose. For for learning about good versus evil, and I guess that's why it's most popular like '80s toy thing that's still going. I mean, they still make so many toys. Yeah, Transformers probably as well, but I don't know. And they've had the movies with Transformers. I, I, but He-Man, I don't know. It evokes something still with with. At this point, you know, if you if you are a He-Man fan, you're probably in your 40s by now. You got to be at least late 30s because He-Man zenith was like. 83, 84, 85, and then by like 87, the movie came out. By that point, it started to die out. So early to mid 80s, we'll just say 85, was like the top of the He-Man. You know, like when they had Snake Mountain and things like that. 85, you know, that's probably like the zenith of He-Man. That's 35 years ago. So you were like five years old. You're 40 now. We'll just say the tail end of the 80s, probably the youngest hardcore He-Man fan that existed back in the 80s. You're probably like 35, 34 at this point. You know, um, so He-Man's beloved. And they, and they, and they had that series in the early 2000s that people liked, didn't take off. Um, and then they had the Netflix She-Ra come out. That's gotten rave reviews. Uh, never mind the fact that uh, fucking weirdos on the Internet were complaining that sh- the, the new She-Ra wasn't fuckable enough, even though she was a teenage girl. That aside, um, we have a Masters of the Universe series from Netflix that's going to come out. An original series, it's going to uh, leave off where the original one ended, called Masters of the Universe Revelation, and and uh, Kevin Smith's involved as a, as a director on the show, which was shocked people that they kept on under wraps at PowerCon, including my pal Pixel Danner interviewed him. Check out the interview. Uh, the synopsis from Netflix uh, featuring fan favorites He Man, Orko, Cringer and Man-at-Arms, the story pits our heroic warriors and guardians of Castle Greyskull against Skeletor, Evil Lin, Beastman, and the vile legions of Snake Mountain. But after a ferocious final battle, Forever Fractured Eternia, it's up to Tila to solve the mystery of the missing Sword of Power in a race against time to prevent the end of the universe. Her journey will uncover the secrets of Skull uh, at last. Uh, this is the epic he and the Master of the Universe saga fans have waited 35 years to see. So, they're going to end the original series, which never ended. I think there was like, uh, God, 60 to 70 episodes over two to three years. They did a lot more episodes back then. Like, 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 like G.I. Joe, like the, the third season, the first full season, had like dozens of episodes, uh, for example. That's the way they did it back then. They, 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 they did it for like kids watching every day during the week, like five days a week uh, for, for like a few months. That's how they made them back then, not just once a week. They weren't once a week. You'd come home and watch it uh, you know, after school. Um, Kevin Smith said I'm eternally grateful to Mattel TV and Netflix for entrusting me with not only the secrets of Grayskull but also their entire universe. In Revelation we pick up right where the classic era left off to tell an epic tale of what may be the final battle between He-Man and Skeletor. Brought to life with the most metal character designs uh, powerhouse animation can contain in, the, contain in the frame. This is the master of the universe story you always wanted to see as a kid. Uh, he'll be riding along with people from Supergirl, Reign of the Superman, uh, people, uh, people from Magic: The Gathering, and and others as well. Um, I guess this probably won't come out for at least a year if it's, if this is going to be animated. Obviously, they're just announcing it now. Um, so I guess what's not clear is that. So you have the original characters having this final battle. How much are they going to show up after this final battle? I think this is going to be analogous, analogous to um to the Fuller House show, where like the first episode was a total um. Reunion where you had all the characters there and then it spun off into uh, just uh, DJ and Stephanie and the annoying neighbor and just focusing on those characters. Um, The female characters by and large while while the other characters were gone. This sounds like something similar where you're going to have probably a couple episodes to tie up the story and then Teela's going to be the main character going forward and everyone loves Teela. That shouldn't be an issue. I I had her as a kid. The snakeskin the snakeskin uh, outfit. Oh, I did something to five-year-old Pat as a kid. Like, oh, look at Tila's long legs. They made the legs long on those characters. They, they you know, they, they, they were like toned aerobic women uh, for us kids. Uh, Tila and evil Lynn was the same mold, but uh, evil Lynn was a yellow skin, a little jaundice, but uh, you know, Tila and evil Lynn, they got some nice long legs on them back then as a kid, you know, they're just, just saying. <laughs> um, so, I think that's the way this is going to go. You'll probably have He Man and the other characters show up, but if there's going to be a final battle, I'm, I don't know. Is this going to be like how the Transformers movie had like all the robots killed off here and like willy nilly? I hope not. I hope they keep the tone. Maybe a will mature it a little bit because the 2000 early 2000 was a 2002 one was like a more mature He Man. I don't know. I, I want to say more mature, but you want the goofy, family friendly tone of the original uh maybe be somewhere in the middle i have the feeling it'll be probably somewhere in the middle they'll they'll keep a goofy tone but make it a little more serious like if gi if, if like, like if gi joe came back on and they redid it please have a new gi joe series it's been so long and and please have a gi joe series uh continue on where the movie ended cuz there was a, there was a plan for that the freaking one the dick series stunk please continue gi joe after the movie please sorry i'm begging you netflix anyway if if G.I. Joe came back, it would have the tone of the original, but they would have it be more mature with more like Joe's being hurt and or killed every now and I think they would do that. We'll see. We'll see if Merman takes an axe to the face or if, you know, Skeletor, you know, gets run through by He-Man's sword. You know, we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. Interesting to see. So I'm happy for for Pixel Dan because he loves He-Man stuff more I mean, I like He-Man, but he loves He-Man, obviously. And by the way, he's got a book coming out. He's got a certain He Man toy Guide coming out through Dark Horse officially licensed that he's been working on for years with his partner. So I'm happy for Pixel Dan. And plus they shout out they shout out Pixel Dan at this panel because they use Pixel Dan's toy reviews for reference on how these characters should look in his videos and soon to be book upcoming upcoming book uh, next year. So next year is gonna be the big year. Two thousand twenty is gonna be the year for um, uh, the series. I think the movie might come out next year. Potentially, they announced, and then obviously, Pixel Dan's book. So I'm very happy. I'm very happy for Dan. Um, very happy for him. One of the best guys in the world, and um, you know, this is like his dream comes true. And I, I guess they kept this a secret to everyone. They, then they uh, they announced it at at, uh, at PowerCon, and I wish I would have went, by I, I had to take a weekend off. I had two trips in a row. I was exhausted from Missouri, then from Long Island. Um, so I was like, eh, I could have went, but I needed to take a break and work on finishing up some details with a certain Superintendent guidebook. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this series. I'm gonna I'm gonna binge watch them the same way I did Voltron when it first came out. I haven't I haven't kept up with Voltron though. No. I think they're like season five already somehow. I want to watch the first season of that. But please, Netflix, please, GI Joe series that takes place after the '87 movie, please. Um, a new television trailer came out, a television, uh, a Miko trailer came out, I'm going to watch it on, on, on the, the obscenely expensive CU Podcast, Tron 8000, uh, we're going to watch it here, uh and then I'm going to stop and comment on it here as I go through here, let's see, we'll do uh theater mode, I guess, we'll do theater mode, we'll put the volume up, pump up the volume on here okay, you ready? so volume up here Okay. There's the Running Man we know about.
0: Our goal at Intellivision is to use technology to bring family and friends back together.
1: Okay, that's they've been pushing that. We know that.
0: Games these days have become so complicated, from the controls, the complexity, the menu screens. I mean, everything about it just screams, you know, hardcore gamer.
1: Well, I I got to stop this. This is going to be a lot of the same messaging that they had before they announced this almost a year ago, um, or over a year ago, a year ago whatever, about they 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 they're banking on this family family and kids uh, familiarity and this being easier than I guess systems that are out today. 200 million million hardcore gamers.
0: People used to play games with their families and friends all in a room together. And that doesn't happen anymore.
1: I, I, I don't want to stop it. It does, it does still happen, but we'll get on to it.
0: Okay. People's fondest memories... It's like a prototype. Playing video games together is when they were with a group of people.
1: No, I don't disagree with, to be honest. Oh, well, you got some light prototype.
0: Bring people together. Put them in the same room. having fun
1: can I say I, I love Tommy Towerrikler's decor I do like his throw pillows and it's nice to say, I, I like the, the the beige walls I'm not even trying to make'm not making fun it, very light light and lovely inviting living room I, I really I want a living room like that to be honest
0: communicating
1: all right different colors. We knew this was going to be a thing, and I just don't. I don't like the uh, different colors on the consoles, uh, just because that's not what you should be banking on the interest on. It should be the quality of the system and the controllers. Worry about the the uh, different colors of your console after it's out first. I, I don't think that should be focused on, uh, in the video here. Um, no, the different colors on the book. But uh, I don't think you should focus on that, especially since it's gone so horribly wrong with, with things like the Coleco Chameleon, where they're like, oh, we have 10 different color shells and a clear shell. it's like, that's not what the game console's all ab- about. That's not what you should be focusing on. Like the N- Nintendo Switch, you know, they had different Joy-Con colors, but the console was the same. Like, I don't know, it kind of just rubs in the wrong way. Bringing back that kind of game night. Simple games, affordable games, Fe- family, fam, family. Oh, affordable. Oh, this. They mean the systems affordable. The, the system is going to be between two and three hundred dollars, though. Correct. Entertainment,
0: playing games, having fun, no matter what skill level you are.
1: Part okay. Motion-controlled recreational sports. So I guess that means the controllers are going to have. Gyroscopes in it, like a, like a Wii motion controller or a Joy-Con. Uh, recreational. That I, I, I means like bowling, I guess, and golf. Party games. Uh, party games. I'm trying to think what's, what's, what would qualify as a genre party game. Um, that I'm not sure. I guess like a, like a four-player game, like Warlords or something like that. I... Award-winning board games. Okay, like Monopoly, uh, Parcheesi, Life. Is chess an award-winning board game? I don't think, did chess win any awards? Puzzle and word games, okay. Sudoku, that's easy. That's like an app. You know, when I'm thinking about, when I I see this stuff, I'm thinking about a lot of stuff that are apps, like app level games. Um, Things like that, like, uh, like, uh, what the hell is that? Words games that, uh, the battle with friends, the word, the freaking word puzzle game and uh, things like that. Professional sports. Okay, like, I guess like, like, baseball titles and getting the television baseball game back on there and a football game. Card game, solitaire, poker, okay. Action arcade, uh, okay. Uh, I guess some of the ports of arcade games from the olden times, some Atari type of games, things like that. Maybe a centipede on there. Original properties, we know that the, the, the exclusive they have announced is the Earthworm Jim game. It'll remain to be seen how much that draws people to buy it, and how long it's going to be an exclusive for, if if not forever? That's- retro, re- what retro reimagined? What is? I'm not sure what that means. Retro reimagined. Um, not, that might mean the new games that they show here in a second. The television games like Astro Smash and Shark Shark Shark. Is it three sharks or two sharks uh, that they show off? I'm not a big Intellivision person to know all the other games they're going to show. I guess that's what they mean educational kids, multiplayer, interactive story adventures. To me, that's like a point and click adventure game. That's what, that's, that's what that is. Um, which is a good idea. To be honest, there should be more point and click games, uh, out there.
0: That's the magic that we want to bring back with the Intellivision.
1: All games are exclusive. Okay. All games. So forget about me. Well, I guess I said before that, yeah, even the arcade ports would be exclusive. So, if they did like a centipede i guess it'd be their version of it i i suppose
0: having fun united once again
1: okay um I, I again i apologize i don't know all the all the uh intellivision games that these are going to be uh based on but we have a bunch of them here uh ready to go that's um that what the hell is that what's that moon buggy game is that moon patrol is that a moon patrol game that's, that's Moon Patrol. Yeah, that's Moon Patrol. Okay. It's Moon Patrol. That's a, a, sh- a shooter game. Uh, that's a maze game. I don't know what that one is. That's like a, a cute Intellivision Freerunner. That's a great idea for that, actually. That's uh, obviously uh, Missile Command. A version only on there. Okay. Uh. Is that asteroids? No, that's like Sinistar looking. No, that's asteroids. That's an asteroids looking game. Yeah, it's asteroids. Okay. Uh, a, 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 a primitive racing game. Uh, a, a chopper game overhead. I don't know what that is supposed to be. Like a desert strike type game. Uh, that was Astro Smash, I believe. That's a that's like fishing. Is it was it fishing derby? Was it fishing derby? Fishing derby what was it called not fishing Derby, what was the fishing game called uh, f- fishing derby okay a breakout game I don't know what that is I don't know what that is that's a uh, like a snake game or that's a, oh, that's Tron that's light cycle Tron okay type of game uh too fast uh, a, 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 a an echo type game I got I got some of them Coming out a year from now, over a year from now. Okay. It's good that they have games. We know they're making games. We know they have some of the old developers redoing some of these games. Um, I guess it's nothing surprising that we're seeing. It's not really new information. I think what... what um, I should put this on loop while I play it. No. Um, I think what's... What my questions are, they're not changed about, you know being family-friendly and, and 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 having uh, games that kids can easily understand, I think that, again, it's taking for granted what the video market has become the past five, ten years, especially with mobile. And kids, kids have devices in their hands when they're like three years old. Uh, they, they know how to use tablets they know how to do things like that and kids are pretty intuitive when it comes to controls on video games i mean kids use a switch fine when i grew up i had no problem learning how to use an nes controller when i was six seven years old and and none of my friends and cousins did and, and as, as things got more complicated you know we figured out how to use a keyboard i was using a keyboard when i was five years old i learned dos when i was like five six years old how to access games so i think it i think it simplifies or or it, it, it underestimates how much children can easily learn devices uh yeah and in terms of the quality of the games if these games are all going to be exclusive if these are going to be simple games there's going to be app app quality games and that's not the, i'm not taking a crap on it that's fine if it's an app quality game there's a lot of good app quality games but that's the sort of simple pick up and play games like you know Atari and types of games you're, you're going to expect on a system that's going to cost 2 to 300 dollars that might be a big ask uh, is this still go in the audio? That might be a big ask uh, for people that don't want to dish out that much when they can just buy a Sudoku game on their phone for 5 bucks, or buy an Asteroids clone on their phone for or free games on their phone. When when you have games of, we'll just say, app quality of value, freemium games, free games, or 5 $3 games that you still have to pay for on on a console that might cost you $200 or more. I think that's a harder ask for some people. And I think that's where the, to me, the business plan flaw is here because why not just create these games and profit off the sales of these games without having to depend upon a console with a controller that looks like just like uh, any like iPhone with mostly touch. And yeah, they want to put buttons on it, and a, and a, a disc-type sort of touch device to make it simpler, similar to an Intellivision controller, but no one's clamoring for an Intellivision controller in 2020. The Intellivision controller design died out in the, in the 80s where it belonged because a cross pad took over because that's what people think is easier and more intuitive, and tactile buttons is what took over. Traditional face buttons and trigger buttons. There's a reason why controllers evolved the way they did. So I don't see many people clamoring for an Intellivision-style controller 40 years almost after the original uh, controller came out on a system that if you were a kid when the Intellivision was popular for those two to three years, if you want to say that, um, the youngest person to have the Intellivision as a kid now is going to be like in their early to mid-40s. So is that what they want to share with their children or I don't like this it's a weird market I'm not saying there's not there's going to be people who be interested in this but I think they're off by about 10 15 years in the demographics here modeling a system out of something that came out in 81 82 when it was popular um a lot of those families are are too young so if I if I had a family and I'm almost forty. If I'm in a family when I'm 30 or I'm 20, in my late twenties or thirty-five, I'm too young for the Intellivision. And if you if if you and if you grew up with the Intellivision as a kid, your kids might be at college already at this point. You had the you had the, your kids in the late nineties, early two thousands. They're off to college by now. So it's not for them either. So I think they're off by about ten to twelve years here in the demographics here like if this came out 10 12 years ago when those in television uh you know you saw the intelligent plug plug-in plays in their early excuse me in the early to mid 2000s those television plug-in plays that's when they sold i don't think they would sell today we've moved on from that like in terms of the age the age groups and that's not t- to say the product's bad or anything I mean, that's just a reality, as other stuff plays on the screen here, that I'll have Kieran uh, overlay with the trailer from the television. So you see what I mean? I just think demographically it's off. If this came out 10 years ago, I think you would have a shot. If it came out 15 years ago, I think it would be a much bigger deal than now. Especially, again, when the, when these are games that are look like app games that you could already play on a, a similar style of games you can play on your phone for free or for a couple of bucks. Uh, I would ask, why should I spend $200, $250 on a console to then buy three five dollars games I could already buy and play on a cell phone or on a tablet? That's all. And I wish them luck. I'm not I'm not wishing them failure on a project like this, but that to me is the reality of what this system is at this point. What they're banking on, what audience they want. Putting those things, computing in my PatMath pat computer, I don't see there being a huge audience for this maybe a sizable one to keep this afloat originally, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I love to be proven wrong. We'll come back a year from now when they have a, a launch trailer coming out or when it's going to premiere. We'll see. At least they're not crowdfunding it uh, and, and then y'all you know, waiting years and years like the Atari VCS. So I will say that. This is better than, than the Atari VCS on its surface. I will say that. So I returned to the flea market this past Sunday. And at the flea market, um, I hadn't been to the flea market. And I did a whole thread on Twitter that I'll, I'll link here as well. And I hadn't been to flea market. I think this year, in 2019, I might have went early January, but definitely for sure, I think I remember going December last year. I just haven't had time or doing working on the book, and just the energy wasn't wasn't there anymore. And plus, I don't film uh, for, for flea market madness anymore. I have about 13 in the can. I'm gonna edit hopefully starting later this year. And then I'm, I'm going to put them out Netflix style. I'm going to drop them all at once. No, I'll do like once a, one a week. I'm not going to put out all the flea market managers I have left until I edit all of them. That's my plan uh, to do that. Um, so what the what I want to do though, um, yeah, what I want to do is is just have them all lined up, edit them all like within a month and a half and then put them all out. But anyway, back to the flea market. So I wanted to go back to the flea market because I want to see what I was missing out on. I wanted to see if, if it was still the same feel the same quality as and it was downhill the last few years so i went back i got there at 8 a.m not 7 a.m beautiful weather like 60 degrees shorts but not cold enough for a sweatshirt sun hadn't come out yet so it was like it was like the sun was out a little bit but it was beautiful perfect san diego weather best weather in the world um and then i found some stuff there that i was not surprised i saw but not shocked, but in terms of game stuff, yeah, it was slim pickings. Again, I didn't get, to get there until 8 a.m., but uh, I was talking to people, even people that had some game stuff out, and there there was not a lot of game stuff there. Wario, real quick, Wario was hurting. No one was at Wario's booth at 10 a.m., 10.30, buying games, where he originally had a bunch of NES games. He had just PS2 games. He had some NES games, but they were in the back. Oh, Wario, this isn't 10 years ago, buddy. The NES game uh, Hunt is not what it used to be and uh, especially at your prices. But he still has stuff for sale. I see it on his, like, his acrylic shelf for years. He's still like a Dragon Warrior 2 that he had like five, six years ago that he hadn't sold. But the NES stuff was definitely not in the forefront like it used to be. It was like newer stuff. But no one was there. So what did I find at the flea market? I found overpriced Super Nintendo games like a $15 Stanley Cup and a $15 Vegas Sticks. Um, I found $5 Genesis games. Now... That's why I was kind of surprised that the $5 Genesis games were still there. This is how I know that either the interest is down or there's not enough as many buyers as there used to be because uh, if I was collecting this stuff, like there was a Mortal Kombat 3, not an Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, that's hard to find, but Mortal Kombat 3, there was Bubsy 2, there was a Frogger, all, all in box, complete in case, uh, a Terminator 2 arcade, a Batman Forever, Street Fighter Two Champion. They weren't two dollars each. If they were two dollars each, I probably would have. I would have. I would have bought some. But five dollars each. It wasn't a terrible price. But I expected there to be less of these there at that point in time. Like, oh, Sonic the Hedgehog, five dollars. Maybe a random person would want to see that and buy it since they grew up with it. No, it was still there at like ten a.m., ten thirty. Those games. Found a five dollar Defender of the Crown by itself. Uh, I found. uh, I found my eighty dollar little giant ladder that that I was looking on eBay. And on Amazon a couple of days before for like two twenty, two thirty, I found it for eighty bucks. Ooh, I said, "Now I'm adulting with power." I found um, a few ColecoVision and Atari twenty hundred games. No one cared about a couple of ColecoVision games without a label. Probably common ones. One was a mouse trap because it had the insert. I didn't even ask the price; they're probably two or three dollars each. Um, I found sealed three M uh, Scotch uh, five and a quarter floppies for uh, for three bucks. DVDs for fifty cents that. Ten years ago, it would have been five dollars. When I first went, I moved to San Diego, uh, DVDs were five dollars. Within ten years, it's hard to give these things away now. Uh, I found a, a, a stand of uh, NES—you know, the bootleg NES minis with the three hundred or it's a six hundred twenty games built in—for forty bucks. I found a stand for them, and I saw a couple sell. Found found some starting lineup hockey figures. I bought Brian Leach because I love Brian Le- Leach. Uh, other stuff. Uh TurboGrafx 16 lot. Now, this doesn't count because this is my friend Derek who knows what this stuff is worth and was a it was a game collector. He's a game collector. So we had a turbografx 16 with three games for $150. It's actually not a terrible deal in this day this day and age. Uh with Legendary Acts, uh TV sports football and world-class baseball. But obviously it's not a deal. If it was like $50, bucks, that'd be a deal. And he had the video game preservers in the box I bought uh from him. And then I found some AWA Remco uh figures. Um that you never see at the flea market. The the long rider. Someone told me on Twitter. So like, there's still stuff to find. I spent. I'm not going to count. I'm not going to count the ladder since that was 80 bucks. Uh, if you don't count the ladder, because that's not video game stuff, I still spent about 25 dollars on stuff. Is, is that an official flea market at that point? 25 bucks, 20 bucks, something like that. With the with the wrestling figures, 20 bucks, 25. So it, it was still fun but it taught me the the reason I love the flea market is I like just getting out of the house and having an excuse to go out and you talk to people. So the people that there was like five or six groups of people including an older Mexican couple that they love me and and it's funny cuz I always forget their names they forget mine but they they told me how much how much fun um they had on vacation going to New Zealand and Australia and, and the woman came up and hugged me and said, "Hey, nice to see you. Haven't seen me in 8 months. Said I thought you moved." And then I saw uh, my buddy Luis and his son uh, Isaac that when I first went to the food market, he was like, yay big. And now he's taller than me. Like seven years later. Now he's, you know, he was like eight year old, seven year old. Now he's like 16 year old with girlfriends and see him growing up before my eyes. Like, he's like, 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 like a surrogate son. And they're happy to see me, you know, and, um, a few other dealers that I, that I deal with and I bought stuff from they're like, Oh Pat, good to see you. A couple of, a couple of dealers uh, dealers I didn't see there, but a chunk of the ones I did see, see there, it was just good to commiserate. Even though yeah, I'm a customer to them. I bought from hundreds of dollars worth of stuff from them over the years. But that made me feel good, the interaction. And that made me realize like I should go back just for that alone. Just like for the social aspects of the flea market I like. Even if I'm not finding the stuff like I used to, I think the social aspects I like. Now I can't make a flea market mana series out of that. Just saying hi to people that I haven't seen in eight months. But um honestly, if I was filming, I would have been able I would have been able to make an episode out of this just from just from the interactions being fun and, and not seeing people i hadn't seen in a while it's been a while but from the from the stuff i found that i thought was worth it so um yeah it's not the same flea market it never will be the 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 height of the flea markets you know it peaked 2012 that 2013 as i said before definitely by 14 it was done we'll just say 2012 the first three four three four years i was here not the same they're going to be the same less sellers less uh, less things to buy and and this would be a perfect day for sellers at the flea market as well because it was like beautiful weather even when i left with the sun out it was like maybe at most 79 degrees 80 at most when i was there most time it was like 65 degrees 70 degrees so not the same as it's, it's a different world now different world from where you come from and uh wario looking sad trying to sell his stuff there yeah just not a not 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 doing it the same way wario my my arch nemesis i don't know, he's I don't know. he says he do no, not know who i am still which i think is funny maybe that'll be the reveal of the last few man that's all i actually interview him I have a heart-to-heart and we'll hug him and, and uh and we'll swap kisses kisses i don't know what am i talking about do you hear that hum in the background my editing computer is on you know why i was done recording this podcast i finished it up it was all finished i said finished twice i'll say it three times <laughs> But you know why I'm back recording here when I should be eating a Flex Pro Meal right now? FlexProMeals.com. So I podcast. Save 20% off your first order. Is because of an announcement. When I see Sony trending on Twitter, I'm like, okay, what's going on here, Sony? Are you sold? Is the PS5 going to be out in a month and a half? No. No. So it turns, turns out that Disney could not come to terms terms with Sony to continue co-producing the, uh, the, the, the I'm so flabbergasted the upcoming Spider-Man movies so that uh, Sony has no deal with Disney anymore which means that Spider-Man is out of the MCU on future movies and future yeah flabbergasted by this now the terms of four were extremely... extremely favorable to Sony. So how it worked was, they were co-producing the movies, but uh, 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 Disney was producing it. Kevin Feige was producing these movies. He loves Spider-Man. And working in with the MCU the past few years has been magical. Five movies. Civil War in 2016. Uh, Homecoming 2017. Uh, 2018. You get... Uh, Infinity War 2019, you get Endgame, and then Far From Home, which is uh, one of the, to me, the second best aspiring movie out of the, um, not counting the animated one, out of the six or so they've had, uh, or seven movies, it's the second best one. It's made over a billion dollars for Sony. And Sony kept about 95% of the profits in this deal. So they put up the money, which they have, To get 95% of the profit when they're not doing any of the work. They did the marketing and distribution, but none of the work to produce the film. That was Disney doing that to make sure they didn't F it up. So now they came back to Sony, according to his reports, and said, We will put up half the money with you if we get uh, half of the profits, not this 5% garbage, and then we can also help develop uh, your other movies that you're putting out, like with Venom and uh, you know all, all the other properties you have control of, like Black Cat and Silver Sable, uh, which are owned by Sony now. Uh, and then Sony's like, well, no, we can do this ourselves. We got this figured out. Because you showed us the way how to do a cinematic universe using our character, Spider-Man, that we own, you know, unless you make a movie every three years and the rights go back to you. So... So Disney comes in, takes almost no money from from this compared to what Sony gets, does all the work to reinvigorate a character that Sony had fucked up. How do you fuck up Spider-Man? But they did with those, uh, those Andrew Garfield movies. They fucked it up and had no plans for the future. Really, they had no idea where to go. We're going to do a Sinister Six movie. We're going to do an Aunt May movie. We're going to do a a Gwen Stacy movie. We're going to do a Spider-Man. We're going to do all these different things. And then uh, Disney swoops in and says, you know what? We can use them. Let's work something out. And so almost out of charity, it seems, you know, Disney did this deal with them. And also to make sure they use one of those most popular characters correctly. Because they don't want Sony to screw it up. So, And it worked. It worked great. For Sony and for and for Disney, and they can't renegotiate at this point. It seems like at this point they're 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 you know no counter offer from Sony. Sony Sony could have said, oh, <clears throat> "How about we do twenty five percent for you?" No, Sony would rather make uh you know a hundred percent of a shittier movie that they're going to put out without any of the MCU uh, characters involved or any mention of the MCU characters. They'd rather make like seven hundred and fifty million. 100% versus 50% of 1.2 or 1.1 billion. Which yeah, on paper they're coming out ahead ahead. but then there's less um, continuity for the character. There's less interesting interactions and then he can't go out and do those other movies. So Sony uh, Sony's just the worst. That's the one I can say. You can say, yeah, Pat, they own the character, now they can do what they want. Yeah, but they've been grossly mishandling the character. Going back to Spider-Man 3 where Sam Raimi had no inclination to want to do Venom. He wanted to do his movie with Sandman and the Vulture and wanted to be just like, you know, more traditional. And he was forced. Sam Raimi was forced to include Venom in Spider-Man 3. And you saw how that turned out. It turned out awful. And then when Spider-Man 4 came about, he was also forced to do things he didn't want to do. And so then he walked. And then when he walked, Tommy McGuire walked. So we didn't even get, get a chance to see, you know a fourth Spider-Man movie done to sort of like wrap up the franchise in a decent way, which everyone was kind of on board for at that point in 2007. So yeah, we'll get another one out in a couple of years, two or three years. And then, you know, uh, Tobey Maguire and everyone else uh, can go out on top. We didn't get to see that. So they do this reboot in 2012 and it was all right. It wasn't fantastic. And then the sequel was balls. The main Spider-Man sequel was Balls. And they're setting up all these, these, this shared Sony-Spider-Man universe it didn't happen. But now they're trying again. You see, you see Sony's feeling their oats with, with the Venom movie. And reportedly behind the scenes, according to a couple of articles I read, uh, Kevin Feige was helping with that unofficially to make sure it wasn't a total train wreck. Because he recognizes, hey, yeah, Venom, we don't own the comics. Uh, uh, we don't own the movie rights to, but he's still a Marvel character in, in the end. So we can't have shitty movies. We can't have another Fantastic Four debacle happen from 2015. Like, they're all invested because it's it's shared properties, even though they don't own the movie rights to it. So this is just a a near catastrophe at this point. Near catastrophe. And I'll be honest, I wasn't the biggest fan of having, uh, you know, Iron Man constantly mentioned and, you know, having to to rely on Nick Fury and things like that, but not having Spider-Man at all in the MCU, after he's been in now for five movies already, he's going to be weird as hell. I was looking forward to maybe in the next Spider-Man movie um, them introducing the Fantastic Four, referencing them, because they, were, they dropped little Easter eggs in the last movie about Fantastic Four, supposedly, in the background. That's what I saw, um, and now that they can't do that anymore, this just this is just like a kick to the balls. After what I got, I got to stick up for a big corporate uh Disney but after they swooped in and and um repaired the damage Sony did to their own character they own the movie rights to and and they couldn't work something out they didn't even they didn't try to negotiate you could say well Pat maybe they didn't want to give up 50% how about 25% to make sure that this this gravy uh train continues that that Disney set up for them this is one of the most peculiar peculiar deals Probably ever in the history of motion pictures, where you have two companies co-producing it, but really one's doing all the work and getting none of the profits from it—almost none of the profits, five percent—and all they wanted to do was say, "Well, we want—we'll put up half the money," so that, so we, we bought in, but then we get half the profits. And Sony did not even counter that. Sony's like, "No, we got—we got it—we got, it. got our Venom movie," so now I got to look forward to. A shitty Morbius movie that no one wants to see. Uh, Any other shitty villains. A a Black Cat and Silver Sable movie that could do okay. I don't see it happening. And now we're going to have Spider-Man forced into these movies with Tom Holland. Forced into a shitty uh, Venom movie to take on Carnage. Without any mention of the MCU at all. Just devoid of life. After, again, it wouldn't have been as bad as if we've now seen what you can do with Spider-Man in the MCU fighting alongside the Avengers you know, he would have been fighting alongside the Fantastic Four going forward you know, he fought against Captain America in Civil War and how beautiful a scene was seeing Spider-Man, that's still the, the best probably on screen um, live action Spider-Man I, I know of, was even the, the Civil War one, when he when he took him on and helped bring down uh, Giant Man and uh, no can't do it anymore just a shame just a shame. Sony being what's called Pennywise, dollar short. They're thinking long term, not what's going to happen to the character in uh, five years from now uh, when the next two movies don't do nearly as well. And then the casual audience realizes hey, why is there no mention of the MCU here? What's, what's going on here? Why isn't even, uh, you know, Happy Hogan's not even in here to mentor Spider Man anymore? That's kind of weird. He's been in the other movies. It's going to be weird, man. Hopefully they can turn around. Hopefully they can turn around. Another, uh, other, another note. Sad news. This happened after I recorded. GameStop laid off a hundred people, uh, including half of Game Informer's staff. And I know we talk about GameStop how they're not long for this world, and, and those predictions are all right. But Game Informer is actually pretty respectable from what I've uh, heard and seen. I haven't read one probably forever, and that's of course the magazine they give away for their you know their Power Rewards program, Power up Rewards program. And so it, that seems like that magazine is is getting a heavy cutback, unfortunately, um, right now. And so just uh, I w- I wish they would have rather sold it GameStop, sold the magazine to someone else that could to carry it on well. Yeah, I'm got to read about this in- initiative now. Uh, cutting jobs, anyway. Yeah, so just dumb all around stuff happening uh, with Sony and Spider Man. Um, I guess it was too good to be true, and I kind of sense like this would happen if they had to re up if they had to re this all the time. Uh, you know, every three, four, five years. I, mean, I guess it was a five movie deal. If that was the case, I wish I didn't put him in uh, into these Avengers <laughs> movies. I wish they said for the next couple. They're supposed, to have, they're supposed to have two, two more Spider-Man movies in development with the current director and with Tom Holland. That's that's supposedly the news here. Just a, just not good. Not good. Oh, and they're re-releasing Far From Home with a extended with a never uh, before seen action sequence. Probably the one that that cut from the trailers in the bank, uh, in the uh, in that that scene in the beginning of when they're in like the restaurant. That's what that's going to be, uh, the extended version. Man, not good. Not happy about this. All right, then. Well, that's it uh, for this news. So uh, it, it's sad uh, for this. Also, the Game Informer staff uh, being let off is very sad. And, and unfortunately, and on, on, on that aspect, there's not a lot of... Um, it seems like every year something's being shut down and there's less and less game news outlets. Um, so it's it's hard for these people to find jobs easily here and there. Uh, you know, because of that. So hopefully they lend in their feet as well. Uh, in terms of Spider-Man deal, yeah, I'm annoyed. Just annoyed by that. Q and a time on the CU podcast here. Well, actually a Patreon poll. You can go to patreon.com slash, uh, CU podcast. You vote on the topic each week. There's a writing each week. There was Ian just, I put up one from him yesterday. I wrote about pizza last week. I'm starving. I'm starving here. I'm starving. And there's a a weekly Google Hangout with Ian. I think it's this weekend for him coming up. So, the Patreon poll is going to be uh your choices are drum roll please. I should have this up here, but I don't. Patreon uh what's my Patreon here? Post. Uh in third place drum roll as I as I waste time. Third place on the poll. This is a bad week for second and third place third place, 9%, what classic arcade games do you not enjoy playing? Now I put in parentheses, maybe safer when Ian is back with it with a tongue emoticon. 9%, that's a good topic. So I basically discourage people from voting for that. Second place was 16%, what will your ideal cl- game collection consist of? A price with no object. Uh, and then first place is 75%, has, pel- has Pat dealt with troublesome folks or trolls in person? Um, I thought this was going to win. I haven't spoken about this in a while. It's been a while, but yes, of course I have. It's rare though, so I go to uh, since 2010, between 2010 and 2019. That's like 10 years ago in the conventions. The average number of conventions I go to each year is probably if you if you some years is more than six. The beginning of it was probably less than six, like three. We'll say the average is six a year. More and more the year after year. My peak was probably 10 in 2016 17. 10 a year. We'll just say the average is six to seven. So I've been to probably 60 to 70 conventions the past nine, 10 years. I could probably count on two hands, maybe three, the number of weird or bad fan interactions I've had or interactions with people in person. And that includes probably YouTubers or content creators that have tried to take shots at me that have approached me in a drunken state or try to make nice with me that I didn't want to deal with. Or, well, not make nice me, just pretend things were cool and they weren't. And I don't like that. When it's like, oh, yeah, you did a video about me, uh, took shots of me, and then now you see me trying to be cool with me. It's like, nah, you got to own up and apologize at least. And some YouTubers have. Some some on the phone or in person who, who have attacked me have, have owned up to that. Others haven't. But that's not what I want to talk about. I'm talking about just trolls or, we'll say, bad seeds. And how do you deal with them in person? And, well, this has happened at Missouri Game Con and this happened with someone that came up to me and said, Hey, Pat, um, whatever their name was on YouTube. Uh, you know, I, I, I noticed that I can't, no one's rep- replying to my comments anymore. And I think I might be blocked. And I'm, and I'm you know, I think you blocked me. And, um, and, and you know, and they were meek and humble and that's usually how it is, especially when they're, they're, when they're froggy online or on Twitter in person, not the same, but, um, they were kind of apologetic, but how did I respond? I, was, I wasn't I was an asshole, but I was firm but fair. And I said, listen, if I blocked you, I probably had a good reason for it, and you probably deserved it. You probably said something that was probably shitty. And, um, you know, what do you want me to say about it? And um, you have to empathize with people because... You have to realize that when people are lashing out online, they're doing that because usually they don't like something about their own life or um, they're feeling either bad about something else happening or they're depressed. And I realized that, that in the moment when you leave a bad comment, that that doesn't always represent you. Um, it doesn't represent who you are, but it's still shitty and it has to be accounted for. And you should be held accountable for that. And this isn't just with me. This same person, I think, said the same thing to Jay from the Game Chasers where he said, and Jay knew who this person was. This I didn't know who this person was. Jay knew who this person was, and so he kind of called them out. I think more on on the fact, especially since the, uh, this person was a troll online, had associated with someone else that Jay didn't like. That had taken shots at Jay. So Jay Jay was like, "What the hell?" And and Jay has spoken about this to me before about people that have come up to him that try to apologize uh, to him. And Jay's like, been less. We'll just say less friendly than me. Where Jay's been like, "You had a problem with me. You want to take it outside." I know who you are. I know you've attacked me. And that's how Jay is. Jay's real. Jay's like me. We're we're real. Who we are in line is who we are in person for the most part. Um, but I didn't do that. I never I never threatened to fight someone that came up to me. No, that might be different with a content creator uh that ha- takes shots at me and Ian that if I see in person, I'll probably ask, hey, is this a is this a mutual combat state? Oh, is it? Oh, let's 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 do this then. Why why not? You might, you definitely have a problem with me. Let's so let's settle it one way, one way or the other. But for uh, for a, a troll or someone who was a fan and made a bad comment, or someone who follows, her, no, I would never do that. Um, I wouldn't be that unless I did something very heinous. But that's, that'd be that'd be, you'd be really cro- cross the line, uh, something like that. Um, but but with this person, I just sort of like shrugged and said, you know, I, I appreciate you watching my stuff, but no, I'm not gonna. I, I'm not. I don't have time to unban you. I don't. I'm not gonna go look that up. But, you know, that's just a consequence of being, being a dick online. I'm sorry. Uh, 99.9% of interactions are good. And, and, and that's why I say about the type of people that are that exist in the online world. A lot of the people leaving shitty comments and and, and trying to be trolls, trying to get a rise out of you, those aren't the type of people to get out of the house to go to, a, uh, to an event. Or if they are, they won't in person act the same way. It's totally a, a power trip for them to do that because in their own lives they, they, they feel powerless or they, they don't like their job or they, maybe they have a shitty relationship or maybe they don't have a, a, a girlfriend or someone they can talk to or they don't have any friends, you know, so that's their way of lashing out and trying to feel good about themselves and putting themselves over at the expense of someone else. I totally get that. It's That's psychology 101. The same with content creators that come after uh, people sometimes the same exact thing. They're miserable people, a lot of them. They hate things about themselves. They wish they can change what they can't or, 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 or are unwilling to face, uh, face the risk of, of changing it or admitting that there's problems with themselves. I totally get that. Uh, but um, in person, it never happens because the type of people that want to come out want to have fun and they're friendly and they want, to, they want the joy of interacting with people and knowing that deep down we should be uh, seeking the warmth of others and the friendship of going to the flea market and, 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 and being f- and happy to see people and to interact. And when you're online, being a keyboard warrior, that's not who you are at that point in time. So those people don't come out to these conventions by and large. It's very, like I said, it's very rare where I have these interactions with troublesome folks. There's been a couple of drunk people I had to deal with. One person seven years ago I had to deal with where um, they sort of got in my face and I had to had yell at them, but I would have yelled at them in 2019. I'm a little more stable now, but the, you know, they got in my face when they were drunk, but whatever. Like I said, that's extremely rare. Hasn't happened in, in a while, something like that happened. So that's how I, I deal with the troublesome people. You just you, you try, try to show empathy, but you be firm, but fair. But you don't back down either. If someone did something shitty to you, you don't give them a free pass. And that's, that's where I come from. That's how I grew up. It's not necessarily a Jersey thing. That's just a, uh, being a man of honor. It's like, oh, you did something crappy. You got to apologize or you got to show that you're a different person now. And then we can be good. If not, hey, you know, I got to deal with you. Got to deal with you. You know, it's the way it works. So that's my Patreon poll topic. Uh, thanks for for voting. And then Ian will be back uh, next week to take shots at me and yell at Pat. And to you know, no, I love Ian. It's a better, it's a better, it's a better, it's a better podcast with Ian, isn't it? I hope so. I hope so. Is that it for this CU podcast? How many topics have I had? One, two, three, four, uh, five, six. Yeah, that's it for this CU podcast. I'm done. You can follow. You can listen to this podcast on Pod, being Google, Stitcher, wherever you, wherever they have podcasts, iTunes patreon.com says so podcast you can pre-order a certain Super Nintendo guide back guide back guide at ultimate or you can buy the digital one which is out now um, and of course the nes one's back in stock yay back in stock yay nes book and those are going out to, to backers or pre-orders are going out this week as well so for a big plush mario i am pat country thanks so much For listening to my solo inane rambling, I will see you next week.